Hello, everyone, and welcome back to With the First Link Season 2. We're very excited about this upcoming season. We wanted to give a content warning, though, ahead of this first episode, as it does touch on some sensitive topics like sexual violence, sexual health, and reproductive rights. Star Trek's great because it's willing to have conversations about some very difficult subjects, but you know what? If you want to skip an episode, that's totally fine, too. Thank you for your patience in waiting for Season 2, and we look forward to spending a whole other season of Next Generation with you. Hello and welcome back to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series now going into season two, one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Cowper samoshi And I'm Matthew Simone. And today we'll be talking about The Child. This episode was written by Jaron Summers and John Pavel and directed by Rob Bowman. It first aired on November the 21st, 1988. For today's check-in, uh, this one's a little tougher because of stuff going on uh, in the States right now uh, with reproductive rights uh, around the time of recording this, at least with reproductive rights just, just being really up in the air at the moment. And I feel like while that feels like a natural check-in for today, I honestly just don't have the energy to talk about it because it's so stressful and so scary. Just a reminder of how fragile those kinds of rights really are. Yeah, I remember I remember learning more about the historical details of Roe v. Wade when I was in university. And yeah. you imagine that those laws are so firm that they will just always be around. And if there's anything we've been learning in the last couple say, year and a half, two years, is how fragile society can be. Yeah. And I also think that it's, I mean, I think like, you know, people of color have been kind of sounding the alarm for a long time. And we've got, there's there's a lot of privilege in being able to like, not be aware of that. Yeah, we need to listen when people sound that alarm. Holy moly. Uh, but one thing that I do think, that I'd like to talk about, not necessarily formally in the check-in, but kind of as we go into the episode, um, is just there are a lot of problematic tropes in this episode and the way that uh, pregnancy is often depicted in especially science fiction and fantasy, but other other kinds of uh, media as well, um, really contributes to a an idea that it's, you know, people with a uterus are just like a vessel to hold these other beings and that pregnancy is not like a super complicated biological process that bodies go through, right? Like people are not just containers for babies. So, um, and, and that is definitely something that comes up in this episode pretty, pretty strongly. So, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we're here for season two. We're excited to be here. We took a little break. That was fun. Yeah, thanks for thanks for your patience and yeah. letting us take some time off and uh, and to all the new followers. Yeah, maybe maybe you didn't you didn't want to listen for season one because you're not that into season one of Trek and and now you're listening. So welcome. We're so welcome. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. thanks to new listeners, listeners. Thanks to new followers on social media, so Instagram and Twitter, and uh, and we appreciate it. It's good to know that there's people. 
listening to us, Ruthie. It is out good. There it's nice. In the Trek first. I mean, I'll so talk about you. Star Trek regardless of how many people listen, but yeah, it's nice. Oh, yeah. No yeah, people yeah, are totally. listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's always me to talk to. Always I'll always you. listen. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Should we get into the episode? Okay. So, in this episode, an energy being impregnates Counselor Troy and accidentally gives off a kind of radiation that puts the entire ship in danger. We also meet Dr. Pulaski, the new chief medical officer. We do. We start with a very grand opening shot. We see like the Enterprise beside another ship looking really, really big. It's always an Excelsior class ship. Yeah. In every one of those shots, it's always the same (laughs) Excelsior Excelsior ship. Yeah. Yeah. We got some like big music and then we see like a shuttle departing from a shuttle bay and we go to the bridge and Worf is wearing gold and he's got a new... A new baldric was his sash. Is, is that silver. what that's called? A that's, baldric? That's what it said on IMDb. <laughs> okay, cool. cool. And uh, I think he also has a new forehead piece. I remember reading somewhere that like the one he had in season one went missing. So they had to make a new one. It's actually, it gets shed um, during different stages of, of Klingon life. That's like molting. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, that's exciting. He's wearing gold. He's now, I believe, yeah. chief of security. Uh, Riker has literally grown the beard, uh, which is now like a thing that people sometimes say about television shows when they like get good in the second season. They grew the beard. Really? Is that so that comes from this in particular? I think so. I thought, well, on the the website, TV Tropes uses that. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Picard refers to LaForge as chief engineer. Yeah. LaForge is also wearing gold. And I noticed he got a haircut. You know, it was weird though. Like as a, like through watching Star Trek my entire life, I've never watched a whole lot of season one. Right. And there are fewer episodes in season one than the rest of the show. So like to me, it was always normal to see Riker with a beard and then not, uh, not without but now that i've because i haven't really been watching other episodes i've only been watching the one that we're recording for so i haven't watched anything from not season one in like a while <laughs> so seeing Riker with a beard i was like oh that's strange characters are now falling into their the places we know them to yeah. be ending up yeah eventually. Nice. yes yeah. and yeah there's a there is a really nice like picard says like he calls Jordy chief engineer and Riker's like oh yeah still has a nice ring to it and and yeah, yeah it really does Nice. And that's where Jordy, that's where we know him. That's where he belongs in yeah. engineering, making mm-hmm. things work. Yeah. So awesome. he's created where they're transporting something. We don't know what yet, but he's created these like little, little containment units, which will then go into a larger containment unit. And so they'll each have their own like special controls and, and yeah, cause he's a, he's a good engineer. So he's created this awesome containment thing. Yeah. It's like these little like hexagon Things, and then it goes in one giant hexagon thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. We'll actually see a, that up here a couple times in the series. <laughs> they reuse their... Uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, it's a cool set piece. Cool All that work piece. into it. Make sure yeah. you use it again. Yep. Riker tells Wesley... Wesley has a new uniform as well. It doesn't have the colors on the shoulders. It's all gray. Uh, but he tells yep. Wesley to take the ship to Odette 9. And then as the ship is on its way, a little glowy ball enters the ship from from outer space and like data notices something but no one really knows what it is yeah he doesn't see it but he notices it on the sensor panel yeah he's like there's some kind of energy that's on the sensors and he's yeah. like oh maybe it was nothing because yeah. no one else seems to pick it up yeah so we see it like travel through the through the corridor and we see like a little glowy perspective 
Um, and then, so it goes through the a couple crew members' quarters, and then it finds Troy, and like it literally goes like up between, like it enters her body, but like between her legs. Yeah, I so I remember actually watching this scene when it first aired. Yeah. And how, like, visibly uncomfortable everyone in the room got at that scene. I like, I remember feeling the tension. Bet. And it is, like, having watching it again, it is it is an uncomfortable scene. It's so uncomfortable. Um, I also, like, okay, so we said in the intro, like, of what happens, like, this thing impregnates Troy. But, like, I mean, that's assault. Like, like it rapes her. Yeah, like, she's raped. Yeah. yeah. And it's, they, the whole episode, I think there's a lot, this is, like, probably the, best pregnancy that anyone has ever had in the history of anything of any species um and i think that's maybe done to like be like no it's okay it's not a traumatic experience but this entire episode is a traumatic experience yes and it's uh, yeah it's almost like they try to walk around that so they can have the story they wanted to have yes but it kind of means you have to ignore some of the stuff that's it that's weird yes yes and to tie it back to our very brief check-in, ignoring that stuff is how you get to, like, oh, reproductive rights aren't actually that important. Or they're super important, but we're going to leverage them to our exactly. political yeah. agenda. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yes. Then we go into the uh, the introduction, and so we don't have we don't have Gates McFadden as Crusher anymore. She That's is right. She is gone. Um, and Pulaski, so it's Diana Maldar, and she's, like, a special guest star. She's not... She's not in the main credits. Um, yeah, I don't remember if that changes or not. But I yeah, I don't. I can't. I remember. don't know if they knew what was going on with this character. So yeah, so um, Gase McFadden. I think I've heard different fired, reasons yeah. as to why she left the show. Okay. At this point, but I, from what I understand, that there were issues concerning like harassment. Um, oh. From some of the producers. Anyways, I don't want to cause too much speculation, but these yeah, are things yeah. that I've heard from behind the scenes. Yeah. And I don't know if all of it is I, – I should have looked this up ahead of time. That's okay. I but, mean, one thing um, I heard was that it – she – like, they were like, we have too many women. Wow. So they okay. got – rid. so, I mean, they'd already gotten rid of Yar, and then they got rid of Crusher, and so they've got <laughs> yeah. this, like, special guest star. What I do want to sort of look at this season, starting with this episode, is just how Pulaski is depicted. She tends to be a fairly – um, unpopular character. I think part of it is because she's not Crusher and people like Crusher. Um, also, I think part of it is because her actor is um, maybe like a little older, not as like super skinny as Gates McFadden was. So like there's just a lot of sexism and misogyny it's, in that. Yeah, similar similar to what I said last season about Picard and when he was first introduced and then as a kid being like, oh my God, he's like so old. Like he's ancient. <laughs> And I remember thinking about that with uh, with Pulaski, thinking like, oh, my God, like, she's so old. And then you go back and you watch the episode, not. you're like, oh, she's actually not that, she's she's not that, yeah, that old. Yeah, she's really not. She also, she was in original Trek in a few episodes. Yeah, yeah. She uh, played a couple of different characters, I think. Yeah, I've got it here. She played, like, Anne, uh, Anne Mulhall and Miranda Jones. Yeah, I think it's Miranda Jones. She gets taken over by some, like, ancient uh intelligence inside of a glowy space ball oh, it's a great episode not unlike what's going on over here yeah similar <laughs> well different it's not like an impregnation right right right. but yeah, yeah. yeah like she it's her 
Kirk and Spock all get taken over by these ancient aliens. And then Kirk and her, like their their past being lives, like we're in love with each other. So she becomes like the de facto love interest then in that in that story. Of but, course. Yeah. Gotta have a love interest. For Kirk, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh so anyways, Pulaski just they do like a there's basically no introduction. She's just like, I need to see Picard right away because Troy has gone to see her. Yeah. You know what's really weird? Okay, so so the thing is, like, yeah, she hasn't reported in yet. She's not in sickbay. Mm. She's in 10 forward. And Picard is, like, annoyed with that. So, again, they're not really setting us up to like her because <laughs> her first thing, she annoys Picard. Right, which is also not her fault because this is the writer's shortcutting again to say, like, well, we introduced Pulaski. We also now need to introduce this new set. Yeah. Because this is the first time we see 10 forward in Star Trek. But, and it's also really weird. I know I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but... Like, how did this conversation go down? Troy came to see her and was like, I'm pregnant. This is a weird thing that happened last night through magic. And Pulaski was like, you know what? Let's not talk about this in the doctor's office. Let's, Let's go, to, go the to the bar. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's sort of set up to be like, no, this makes sense that she's not in sickbay because Troy is talking to her. But what, there's, there's nowhere more private to talk? Like, they didn't want yeah, to go to some... Anyway, before Picard goes to see... Pulaski in 10 forward he like gets onto the turbo lift Wesley gets off like onto the bridge as Picard is getting on and then Wesley turns around and gets back on to join Picard on the turbo lift and then just stares at him silently until Picard's like so I I guess sorry this mission is gonna delay your reunion with your mom but it's right. weird like what was Wesley do- like he clearly got off the turbo lift to be on the bridge, and then he just got back on the turbo. It was very. This happens a couple times. I think. Well, as we as we find out later in this episode, Wesley's dealing with some internal conflict over <laughs> so over some decisions. Act a little awkward. <laughs> well, maybe that, and maybe he he wants to talk to Picard, but he's he's chickening out. Yeah, know? so he's just I like guess. He, I guess. He, he just he can't. You know, Picard's intimidated. If you're an ensign, but acting and, ensign. You know, if you're acting ensign and you're looking up to this person, not only as your commanding officer, but also like your your father figure in your life, you know, Picard's going to be... Picard intimidated me when I was a kid. I get it. Fair enough. Yep. Yeah. For sure. So, okay, okay. So then we see 10 forward. We meet Guinan, played by Whoopi Goldberg. Yep. The amazing Whoopi Goldberg. She apparently... I mean, this is what I've heard from multiple... Or what I've read in multiple places is that she really wanted to be in the show. And so she asked LeVar Burton to ask Gene Roddenberry to write a part for her. And... Well, Whoopi Goldberg was also, like... Kind of at the height of her career at this time yeah. too, if I remember. So having like a what, like a like a big name actor on Star Trek For was sure. a big deal. Yeah, but apparently uh, Gene Roddenberry didn't believe Lavar Burton at first, so he like kept not oh, yeah. doing it because he was like, Whoopi Goldberg doesn't want to be on our silly little show. And then she had to be like, No, I really do. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, that's awesome. Picard, he kind of starts to give Pulaski a, a bit of a dressing down, and she's like, No, no, you sit down. And we see that Troy is. Uh, oh, in a new outfit also, another change. Troy's got long curly hair and a different jumpsuit from her yep. season one. We see that uh, Pulaski's, uh, another introduction of her dynamic with Picard here is that she's she's not she's not intimidated by Picard. Yeah. Like really at all. Yeah. And she's fine to just interrupt him and kind of tell him what needs to be done. Yeah. And that makes sense because again, that's a dynamic yeah. that can happen between a chief medical officer and a captain. It's the only other person that can really pull rank. Absolutely. I was thinking like there's no one else. It makes sense for the doctor to be allowed to say, sit down, captain. But I don't think anyone else could ever say that. No. 
No, and he he does because yeah, he's he like, well, I guess I gotta know what's going on. Yeah. Next scene, we're in the observation lounge, and obviously Picard's been briefed on what's going on. Picard introduces Pulaski to the senior staff, but then says, "There's not really the time for introductions because <laughs> this Troy weird is thing pregnant. going on." Yeah, so Troy's yeah. pregnant, and and Pulaski kind of explains like it's not a normal pregnancy. They think that conception took place like 10 hours ago or 11 hours ago or whatever it was. And during the first examination, like the fetus seemed to be about six weeks old. And then several hours later, the same fetus seemed to be several weeks older. So basically this this fetus is on track to be born in 36 hours as opposed to the regular betazoid gestation period of about 10 months. 10 months. I, I will say here that I was... I was kind of disappointed in Riker's oh my God. reaction to this whole thing. Because even before that, when they mentioned that she's pregnant, he's like, well, this is unexpected. And you're like, dude, if we're all having a conversation about this around a table, it's probably because something's up. Yeah. And that wasn't super supportive and then his... to just be like, well, I didn't know about this. Yeah. She wanted you to go and tell you, oh, hey, by the way. Yeah. And then he also like, <laughs> he says... I don't mean to be indelicate and then asks like the most indelicate question. Yeah. Who's the father? Like that's really A, none of your business and B, not at all relevant. Like there's there's something really weird going on here. Who the father is is not of as much importance as like what's going on in Troy's body. I wonder if that was his way of trying to explain the oddness of the pregnancy. You can say, oh, well, it was because, oh, it's, you know, it's Joe the fish alien down the hallway. Okay, well, that makes sense because their species gestates in five days or whatever. Like, but that's, it doesn't seem to be the, it doesn't, the, that's not the, the way, the spirit like, of his question. No, it's more that no. he's like, I don't know. I mean, it does seem weirdly controlling of like, like what Troy does with her body. Yeah. So Riker doesn't handle that part super no. great. Obviously, there's, there's personal feelings there that yeah. are. Yeah, probably going getting in the way for sure. Um, so she she explains that a presence she felt entering her body. So the staff voices go all echoey, and I thought that this was. It's an I think it's an important scene because you have an entire group of people with power who are not the pregnant person. Yeah, all having conversations about what's going to happen with her and her child. Yeah, and all also all of them except for the doctor who is not contributing to this conversation. All of them are people who will not get pregnant. Including Data. Yeah. Yeah. And so um and so yeah, I thought that was very poignant even to today about how conversations around pregnancy Yep. And where the power of pregnancy happens. Yep. Because if there's one comment that's made quite often by abortion rights advocates, it's like, who gets, who's making these decisions around the tables? And when you usually get pictures of those people, they're all people who will never get pregnant. Right. The other thing that I think is important about this is that often when people talk about like abortion rights and, and reproductive rights, uh, a lot of the time it's really framed as like there are people who are pro-abortion and people who are the language they use which is not accurate is pro-life and that's not that's not actually how it is like in this scene so they're all talking about Lisa Wharf wants to terminate the pregnancy Data wants to study it Riker wants to know what the risks will be to Troy if they terminate the pregnancy and Troy interrupts them all and says that she is having this baby and that's that's the whole thing with the like 
reproductive justice and the pro-choice side of the uh, of the argument, I guess, is it's not about, you know, there are people who just want abortions to, I mean, the, abortions should be accessible and should be easy to, to get and should be perfectly legal. And that is 100% true. So that people can make choices about their body. And this choice that Troy is choosing to make is just as important as the choice to terminate the pregnancy if that were her choice. Right? Like it's not, it's, and I think that a lot of the time the anti-choice side likes to frame it as like, well, the people who like abortions are like anti-baby and that's not the case or that they're anti-pregnancy and that's not the case. People who fight, people who, who argue in favor of abortion are are fighting for people to have autonomy of their own bodies and that's choosing whether to keep a pregnancy or not. Yeah, and in the end, it, it, it obfuscates the wider societal context of what happens when a person has a child. Yeah. How does it affect their socioeconomic status, their access to resources, which resources they will have access to depending yes. on who has that yeah. child. Um, so yeah, it, it completely negates all of the wider context there and into this weird oversimplification of how things work the wider thing here too is like we've it's always been shown that if you want to reduce abortions it's not by creating harsher abortion laws it's by providing like the access to resources sexual education that's required for people to make these informed choices and decisions and lifting them out of poverty but i will so i do think that it's an important scene and also picard's like answer to troy is absolutely the right one when she says i'm having this she's like do what you want to protect the ship but i'm having this baby and he's like okay well then that's the end of the discussion yeah and that would that should have been true regardless of how she answered exactly exactly right so even if she's like well it's ultimately my choice and i decide not to have the child then he also should have responded the same way yeah we hope that that would be true and i think it would be i i so yeah the i mean it is a little bit of a weird just the way it's written is really weird because you would have thought that maybe she could have told him this, like he would have given her an opportunity to tell him this before they started the conversation. Like, what did they talk about at 10 forward? Was she just like, I'm pregnant. And he was like, all right, let's call a staff meeting. Like, I That's a good point. It, yeah. In the reality of how the flow of dialogue probably would have gone, it doesn't really make sense. But I think it was written so that scene could be there. Yes. And it is an important scene and it's still relevant to today's conversation around all of this going on. So they're on their way to Odette 9. Troy is very pregnant, but doesn't feel any discomfort. And that's something that keeps coming up is that it's like, it's a very comfortable pregnancy. It is. And again, this is like, I mean, I think they do that so that people aren't like, wow, this is a horrible thing that happened to her, even though it is. Um... But it's but I think it also contributes to this idea or it plays into this idea that like when people get pregnant, they're just they're just these containers for for the baby. They're they're not like it's not a biological process that their own body is going through. Right. And they very much that distinction is just not talked about because yeah. the strangeness is with the fetus. But like yeah. Troy's body also has to would have to accommodate a fetus that's growing that fast. Yeah. And there's how would that do that? We don't talk about that at yeah, all. Yeah, she's like, I should yeah. be uncomfortable with all the changes going on, but no, I feel great. There is yeah. a really funny scene where like Wesley turns around in his chair and Riker's like, uh, standard orbit ensign. And he's like, Oh, right, yeah. right, right. Sorry. Yeah, don't crash the ship, please. Yeah, and stop staring at the pregnant person on the 
on the bridge. The bridge. Picard talks to Le- Lieutenant Commander Hester Delt on yeah. Odat 9. He wants to look at the containment unit for plague specimens. This is the, he wants to come aboard and basically check it out. Picard asks for a complete manifest yeah. of what's being brought on board. Yeah, basically, like, it, they're being really careful. And that, I think that's what it is. It, it takes, like, 14 hours for Delt to to look at the containment unit. And and Picard, like, wants to a list of absolutely every specimen. So I think they're just, I think this is to let us know just how potentially dangerous this situation is. Because they're what they're doing, we didn't really say this, but the, the captain's log at the beginning is, like, they're trans, there's a, a plasma plague somewhere. And they're transporting plasma specimens. Plague. Of a plasma plague. I don't know what that is. Is that a real thing? I didn't look at it. I don't think so. <laughs> um, but they're transporting specimens of the plasma plague to, to basically just to hopefully find a, a cure or an antidote or a vaccine. They're going to make a vaccine. Yeah, yeah. Also relevant to, so, to today. But to do that, they have to like transport this really dangerous, these really dangerous specimens. So they're being really careful. Yeah. Samples, different samples and variations of plasma plague. So one of them will hopefully create... Uh, the necessary yeah, antidote. different variants, basically, different which variants. is also very relevant to what we've got going on right now in the world. Yes, yes, <laughs> like Omicron plasma plague. <laughs> Picard sends data to review the manifest with Pulaski, and he encounters Troy on his way there. She's ready to to give birth. Data calls Worf to assemble a security team because they're we don't know what's gonna happen, what's gonna come out of her. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, could be might be dangerous. Could be dangerous. And then again, there's like another this. I'm not going to blame Pulaski for this. I'm going to blame the writers 100 percent. She's like in my other deliveries, except for a couple. The father was always present. Like, really? Really? Boo. There weren't like single parents having kids. Or yeah, like, it's it's very like it's very kind of like, heteronormative. Super sort heteronormative of, and, yeah. and like nuclear family centric. Yeah. And, and then she also. And so this is where like Pulaski, I think this is one of the reasons she becomes a not very popular Character is Data's like, well, I can provide support. And she's like, no, no, no. Troy needs like a human, a warm human, not a cold android. Like she's yeah. basically like, go away, robot boy. And Troy's like, uh, no, Data will be fine. He is he is my friend for crying yeah, out loud. Yeah, they kind of are set up as sort of like the traditional conservative country doctor kind of feel, I guess. I think that there's a little bit of the dynamic that was original, like in the original Trek with McCoy and Kirk always like fighting and then McCoy not getting Spock because Spock is logical and and McCoy was very emotional. Like I think there's a little bit of that, that, that Pulaski's like McCoy, you know, able to tell off Picard and also she like doesn't, doesn't understand Data. Yeah, I never remember. I don't. I mean, I'd have to go back and watch those episodes again. But I, I don't remember McCoy ever being like openly bigoted toward uh, people. I think was he's. He? I mean, he did make a at the, at the beginning of this uh, series when he's on the Enterprise with Data, and he's like, Data's like, I'm an android, and he's like, Oh, almost as bad as a Vulcan. So. Oh yeah. Oh wait, yeah. Of course he was <laughs> to Spock all the time. Yeah, that's what I, what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, of course. Yeah, I was thinking more toward like. Just around like anatomy, biology, right. yeah, yeah, no, like, no, that, not that kind that. of stuff. But just yeah, to go like, oh, all the time. What you, am you I don't thinking? understand yeah, emotions, and so I feel yeah, like yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah, setting yeah. that up a little bit. But it's not. Uh, I mean, Data's already this like super popular character, so I really don't feel like the writers gave Pulaski a chance to be liked. Data's fascinated and wants to know all kinds of questions. Like, can you, can you feel the baby's like emotions inside of you? Like, when did you become aware of them? Like, just 
goes into the super like I'm curiosity mode, which is not really appropriate, but that's on par for data. And and now all of a sudden, though, the baby is being born and Troy is in no pain. Pulaski wants to give her basically a pain suppressant. She's like, no, I'm not feeling any pain at all. The, the like, I, don't, I can't even say like bed. It's like a birthing chair that Troy is in. And it's really cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is how like I think it's a, a lot of the time when we see like babies being born, the the person giving birth is like lying down and their like feet are up. And that I think I think the reason we have that is that like that's easier for doctors to because they can like stand and whatever. But it's actually much easier to like get gravity to work with you. So she's in this like cool chair, but just like tilted. So her so the baby's like, yeah, coming coming out of her going downwards. Yeah, more biologically sensible. Yeah. Yeah. I future like birthing chair. Yeah. And then Riker enters and just kind of watches without anyone noticing. We don't know if he had permission. He, he just kind of like strolls in. in there. He's like, I get to watch. Yeah, it's ugh, it bugged me. And then we have this very cute baby. Uh, we cut to Worf just looking serious. Scowling. And Data, Data, I love Data here. He's so amazed by it. He loves it. Pulaski asks if ED births are norm for Betazoids, which I feel like she should know because... <laughs> Beta Z's like a major component of the Federation and she probably would have studied Beta yep. Z like anatomy, think, but whatever. Uh, it's just a way for them to have like a a conversation for the audience. Yeah. And Troy says no, that not according to her mother, which she makes a joke about this. I like, mean, you know that Loxana is the kind of person who told the Your birth, birth story. was very difficult. Yeah, and she told that story like, you know, at dinner parties. At dinner parties, yeah. just like everyone knows Troy's birthing story. <laughs> like, Yeah. Worf checks the babies out, basically analyzes that it's not a threat. So Worf checks out because he's like, well, obviously I'm not needed here. And then Data is very thankful that he had the experience to, to be there. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Um, Troy names the baby Ian Andrew after her father. And then I remember actually like watching this, probably not the first time I saw it because I was really young the first time I saw it, but like watching this and thinking that Troy would be annoyed that Riker just walked in without any, like without anyone knowing. Um, I would guess that she probably could sense him because like... She can sense, but you know. Still doesn't mean no, they had still permission not okay. to be there. And she, but then no. she's she's like happy. She's like, oh, were you here the whole time? And he's like, yes, I was. And like gives her a kiss on the cheek. And uh, I don't know. I I I can. It's not written. It, it's written like to be this sweet moment between the two of them. But that doesn't ring true for me, especially because of how weird he was when he found out she was pregnant. Like, yeah, earlier. Yeah, she's she's given a lot of leeway here. The, yeah. the character doesn't is not written as if she's carrying that as a burden, but it's she probably should be. Yeah, I feel like pers- <laughs> yeah. as some I've I've never uh, given birth, but like I feel that if I ever were to, I would want to know who was going to be in the room and and have like vetted that and not just yeah. be like yeah. yeah yeah can i just be there for this moment like at least ask yeah Blasky yeah. is very suspicious that troy feels so good following the pregnancy and the next day when they're on the bridge Pulaski enters and tells picard that she's still like surprised by how easy the birth was yeah that there was no trauma to the body no lasting impacts and in fact that if she had ever studied troy again had she not known the pregnancy had occurred she may not even have any like physical signs that she ever was pregnant before so again like that whole idea of like troy troy's body is just a vessel for this being yeah it's for the plot yeah just yeah exactly a vessel for the plot we can just use literally plot vessel vessel. yeah yeah so picard and pulaski go to visit troy 
And Ian has grown to be this like adorable, like seriously so cute, like almost four curly, year old. black curly hair. He is but of course so cute. the characters are terrified because <laughs> he can talk. He is four years old in a day. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and, then, and then he talks and the, the so I was <laughs> I was watching the video on uh, faster speed so I can get through the episode. Oh. <laughs> and so all of a sudden when he starts talking because they're already like creeped out and he starts speaking and it was like this really high pitched tone because of the accelerated <laughs> video and he's like hello everybody and I was like oh my god that's actually really creepy but it's not not like that in regular speed like it's still pretty high and he's like <laughs> yeah, don't he's, worry yeah. and also the way the things that he's saying are not necessarily things you would expect to hear from a four-year-old he's like don't yeah, worry especially everything will be you, okay like everything's fine you're like it's not fine oh yeah. my god uh yeah so it is it is weird it's scary it's weird and they're intimidated but there's nothing like outside of the context of what's going on this child is not, He's not giving off any anything. vibes that they're aggressive no. or have any malintent toward anybody so it's just that we're concerned about what's happening it's so out uh, so unusual yeah and there are a few things like throughout the episode later on where i feel like troy kind of gets annoyed with how interested people are in what's going on with with ian like Whenever people talk about how how much he's grown, she like doesn't respond, which I feel yeah. like kind of she's like, yeah, I know it's weird. Can you just let me enjoy being a mom? Like after the commercial breaks, there's a commercial break, um, and the captain's log says that now Ian is even older than that. He's like an eight year old, yeah. physically speaking. Yeah, and Pulaski and Data are are still categorizing the specimens from the plasma plague, and we have this scene where Pulaski calls him Data rather than Data. And he says, no, it's it's Data. He corrects her on the pronunciation of his name. Yeah. And then she laughs it off and is kind of like, well, what's the difference? And he says, and I think this is really important. He's yeah. like, what is my name and what is not? Yeah. And then instead of like, okay, so the what's the difference? Like, it's not a great question to ask when someone pronounces or when someone corrects you on their pronunciation, but whatever. But then once he has said that, she like gets into this really weird, like she's she's like using her tricorder to like examine him and was like, ooh, in all of your circuits and your positronic net, is there a program for bruised feelings? Which like, first of all, he didn't say anything about his feelings. He just corrected her. But second, if he did have bruised feelings, making fun of him probably would not be the right choice. <laughs> like, No, it if there's anyone who seemed to have bruised feelings and ego at that moment, it looked like it was her 100% on being corrected her. on her on yeah. the pronunciation of his name. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of a dick it is. move on her yeah. part. And, and like you said, it's one of those things that it's almost like she was written intentionally to be disliked yeah. by the audience. I but, do want yeah. to ask you, Matthew. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you pronounce that word when it's not this character's name? Oh, it's always data. Okay, same. same. Always, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say data to mean like information. I, yeah. I've 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 heard it pronounced data probably like half a percent uh in my whole life probably because of this show. So I've, it's always, I've definitely it's always had people data. like there's you know there's a, a grade twelve math course data management and a lot of people call it data management or data. No, it's wrong. I always call it data data management. Yeah, yeah. You should correct them on the pronunciation. <laughs> one is my name. The other is yeah, not. one is the not. course's name. The other is not. The other is not. Yeah. <laughs> Blasky tells Picard that if anything gets loose from this containment, the best case scenario, best case. Is that the entire ship is destroyed? And I was wondering what what, what are the other yeah, cases? Then? Yeah, I I one thing I do have to say I was watching uh, this episode with my sister last night, 
And they were, so they're talking about the, like, this one specimen that's been, like, genetically engineered. And uh, Pulaski says some eager beaver has, like, forced this virus to mutate. And my sister said, eager beaver, genetic engineer. <laughs> that is brilliant. So, yeah. Clearly, we have to have her as a guest yeah, host yeah, on the so show. Yeah, she can come up with good rhymes for us. Yeah, eager beaver. But yeah, so it's it's bad. Like, and and also he's like, so what should we do? And she's like, no, we can't do anything. We need to do this. I just want you to fully understand how and bad the audience. it is. Yeah, yes, I just wanted the audience to understand. Yeah, we don't know what a plasma plague is, but it'll kill everything. It'll, so we're like, okay, yeah. it's bad. Yeah, best it's case bad. scenario, everyone dies. Dana leaves Pulaski and she mispronounces his name again, corrects herself, but then says whatever, as if people's names being pronounced correctly isn't important, at least in this case, because, you know, and this is kind of an ongoing thing with Dana and Pulaski is that she doesn't really see him as a like a genuine life form, yeah, I suppose. Not a person. Not a person. Yeah. And we'll get into that more this season, too. We will. Uh, Ian is now older than we last saw him, plays with puppies in the nursery, which are also very cute. There's so much cute with this it's with this. Such a cute, such a cute episode with weird horrible things happening um but yeah he's really having fun with the puppies <laughs> yeah teacher says that he is very tactile wants to touch everything and that's he's learning yeah. right he's a kid that's what kids yeah. do they want to touch everything and then like stick them in their mouths and yeah explore that's how they do yeah and then so then this is another moment where like troy's like okay it's time to go let's go go, go get something to eat and the teacher miss gladstone is her name that she's like oh my gosh he's even grown since since he arrived and troy just like doesn't answer <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, really? I didn't notice. Yeah. Thanks. Yes, okay, I know. I have good. a weird baby. Like, stop going on about it. Cole Meany's here again. Cole Meany. I don't know if he's credited. He's still just transporter. No, he's just transporter chief still. Yeah. I noticed Cole that at Meany. the end. Yeah. But he's back. This is the second time. We had him in the first season premiere. And now the second season premiere. We didn't see him yeah. all first season. So he's still running the transporter. And he helps Data beam up the first batch of specimens. So they're like on these screens and displays are seeing them. The tiny hexagon blocky things being loaded into the big hexagon blocky thing. And it's they have to transport them in sequence. They can't do them all at once. So they're being beamed up and inserted by the transporter. Yeah, and they're being like they're not like he's doing that from the transporter room. But like they're being transported from the planet directly to the cargo bay where uh, Hester Delt and LaForge and Riker are all there to like keep an eye on it and make sure everything's everything's going well. So then Pulaski and Picard again stop by Troy's quarters. This is like the next day, not even. Um, they stop by Troy's quarters to to check on Ian again. And again, Troy like seems annoyed. And it's, this is funny to me. Like there's a cute scene where Ian's like, like he invites them to stay for supper. And he asks if Picard has ever played with puppies. He hasn't apparently. Um, that, ex that explains some things about Picard. <laughs> yeah, if I may for say sure. so. And then... And then he like sticks his finger in his food and and burns himself and like Pulaski treats it and then he like he's crying and he's like my face is wet. But then Pulaski and Picard kind of go off to the side and she's like he deliberately allowed himself to be burnt. But like that's that's normal child behavior, right? Like kids Yeah, Picard's kids do like that. He, well he wanted to experience yeah. it. Like that this is not the thing that I would be worried about. <laughs> No, like, I, I guess they're trying to figure out, like, well, he's intelligent enough already to speak, knows language. Why wouldn't he know what being burned is like? But uh, so if there's that, like, what what is 
what things are innate yeah. to this being and what things they still need to experience. I guess they're trying to figure that out. Yeah. And so Picard starts to like ask him some questions. And I actually like the answers. He gives like really That's literal funny. answers. He's like, why are you here? And Ian's like, oh, because mommy said it was time to eat. Picard laughs. Yeah. He's like, okay. He's like, no, but like here. And he's like, well, I live here. I live on this ship. Yeah. And then and he does. it's interesting, like Troy, I guess, has maybe they've had this conversation already that she's like, the captain wants to know why you came here and he's not ready to say yet. And and she can sense that he knows the answer or like he he has the answer inside somewhere, but his cognitive powers haven't developed enough to explain so there's right. like it's i think yeah there is an interesting thing where this this glowy ball of energy it has some knowledge but it doesn't have like the understanding beyond what an eight-year-old kid would have so right so it does it can't communicate that yet which is an interesting uh thing to happen Cargo is secure, and so the ship is now heading for the Richelis system. And they go back to 10 forward. It's actually kind of a neat view here because the camera is swinging around to 10 forward from the outside of the yeah, ship. Yeah, yeah. So you can see sections of the hull, and it's actually looking through the windows of 10 forward from outside. And I can't actually recall any time that they ever do that shot again because you're always usually looking from 10 forward out. Mm -hmm. And so if originally we're looking through the windows from outside, and we can see Wesley gazing out the window. Yeah. As he's watching, you can see the planet drop away as the ship is breaking orbit. Yeah. And the lighting like changes through 10 forward as the ship is moving. You usually don't get scenes like no, that through the really front cool. view. So it's kind of yeah. cool. It is pretty cool. And as he's standing there thoughtfully, uh, Gaiden notices and approaches him. Yeah. And they, they have a nice, they talk about the view. She's like, what do you see when you look out there? Um, but she keeps offering him different drinks. And he, he says he doesn't want anything, but she keeps offering um, and, and then eventually he's like, why, why do you keep asking me this? And she says that she's doing, like, she, she does it because that's what's expected of her. And then kind of segues into like, do you always do what's expected of you? And kind of, <laughs> and, and basically making him consider the fact that he does not want to leave the Enterprise and the fact that he's expected to do it isn't necessarily, you know, the, a reason to do it. Yeah, he wants to stay. He does. And they're setting up Gaiden now as the role that she's going to play on the ship, which is a sort of like the, I don't want to say counselor, because that's Troy's role, yeah. but sort of the um, the wise sage yeah. aboard the Enterprise. It is part of like a, a problematic trope, which uh, is in a lot of of shows and and movies, there's like a character who is most of the time like a black character whose main role is to help other people discover things about themselves. So like right. they don't have their own goals or needs. And and there is even like later on, there's a part where she says to Wesley, like, it's what I'm here for. And I like saw that. I was like, oh God, like what you're here for is to help every, everyone else yeah. with their character development. They're not really a part of the, like they're part of the society right. and the crew in this case, but not really. They're kind of just there to help other people. Exactly. Right. So that is problematic. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's great. That, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg is amazing as Guinan, but yeah, yes. it's definitely it would be it would have been nice to at some point at all in the series to have gotten like what does Guinan want, and uh, that's not really yeah. 
What I do appreciate about her character is that it's not just a one-off and she does have more of a role yeah. like an, and some important roles in some of the episodes later on. She does. And, and also like people trust her sort of implicitly. No one ever mm. doubts her. No one's like, oh, who knows what you're talking about? Like, yeah. yeah. And side note, yeah. sounds like she's coming back in the second season of Picard. Does it? Do you think so? Yeah, apparently that's the thing. Right. She's going to be in the second season of Picard. Uh, so I'm Oh, maybe I did too. know that actually. Because yeah, he asked her like on The View or something, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was like a formal request or <laughs> yeah, whatever, yeah. but I, apparently it's actually. Yeah, I mean, one thing I, that I, I do like about or uh, like the, the whole story about how Guinan's character came to be was that uh, she grew up watching the original Trek and just the fact that Uhura was on the screen. She was like, that was the only depiction of the future that had black people in it. Right. So. Yeah, and, and she talks about the importance of that yeah. for her, and yeah. and I'm sure that they've met as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. Both Nichelle Nichols and yeah. Whoopi Goldberg. There's an alarm in the cargo deck, yes. and Delt detects growth in one of the specimen containers. So they're all supposed to be these specimens are supposed to be in stasis, and they should not be growing. They we have we have the specimens. We're bringing them to the place where they're going to be turned into vaccines and stuff but one of them is growing on the way and it's going to get out of the container and that that would be really bad i like it there's like a part where jordy's like no 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 there's no way it can break through this and honestly it, what it looks like he's like tapping when he says this is like like a plastic it's like pipe. a plastic tube yeah like there's like yeah. really that's not up i don't know i i trust jordy's engineering for sure oh yeah he's got pride in this yeah. in his hexagon box yeah. that he built so there's like no way but then delts like no, this this thing is is voracious. It'll eat the machine yeah. or whatever. And Pulaski's like, we have to destroy it. And Delt's like, we can't. And, she, and they're like, okay, well then let's jettison out of the sh- jettison it out of the ship. And he's like, no, we can't do that. It'll go into a spore, and then when it comes into contact with another planet or a ship, it'll it'll destroy that. So basically, it's like there's nothing we can do. Yeah, I was like, okay, for sake of <laughs> of plot, I get that. But I think sometimes these shows. Because we're so used to moving around so fast and getting from place to place. They, they kind of forget that space is really, really big. <laughs> and if you just, like, throw some box out into space, the odds of it hitting another ship or a planet or anything is, like, astronomically small. Yes. I also can't understand. I was like, why don't you, can't you just shoot it into a star? Anyways. No. Nope. There's always ways to get rid of stuff in space. Nope. But exactly. I get you. Yeah. I hear you. I yeah. Hear you. So there, the idea is that they'll, like, evacuate non-essential personnel to the saucer section and then... If, uh, separate if necessary. But then Pulaski, and this is, you know, she can be a good scientist too. Um, yep. She's like, okay, well, what is it about this one? Why is this one growing, not the other ones? And they realize that this particular strain uh, grows when it is exposed to Eichner radiation. Yeah, I don't I don't think Eichner radiation is real. No, it's, it's, I mean, it comes from glowing, glowing energy beings. Um, glowing energy beings. But apparently, it just happened to be on the ship. Yeah, because there wasn't any on the ship before. Uh, can I just say also, I love the way this guy plays Hester Delt. He's like, he's just so casual about things. Like, like Riker's like, why didn't you notice this before? And he's like, I don't know. I guess it wasn't here before. <laughs> yeah, he's like pretty serious about his work though. I like how he can go between like chill and yeah. then super like panicky. Yeah, I like not it. panicky, but like directed to the point no, so fast. I was like, I would love to see more of this character. I like he him a lot more. with yeah. his mustache too. He's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> so, he's a cool, cool guy. Yeah, but basically, there he's like there there wasn't any Eichner radiation on the ship before, so we didn't detect any. But now we are detecting it, and they're like, hmm, where could it come from? And where could it be immediate from? Immediate cut to Ian going to bed, and he and Troy can both tell that he. Says he's like I could tell that people are worried on the ship because he has empathic abilities yeah. as well, 
And then he's just like, oh, um, he's like, I'm the reason why people are worried. I have to leave now. And then he's like, he starts dying. Yeah. And Troy like realizes that he's dying and is like, starts freaking out, understandably, calls the doctor to come to her quarters and they they show Pulaski shows up with Data and Riker and Pulaski's like, did anything happen? And she's like, no, he's just dying. And and they realize that he is the source of the Eichner radiation. Pulaski says that she's losing the life signs and then Ian just dies. Troy gets, and Marina Sirtis, I think also like that sometimes her character can be like sort of over the top or written in like a not super believable way. This scene, I don't know, she really sold it for me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I was sad. It's a sad really scene. sad. And her she had a really like subtle way of like the crying when like he turns into this glowy ball and she's like holding holding it and looking at it and then goes from like really sad to like smiling a little bit. It's I she did it really well. Yeah. However, though, rather than just being dead and gone, Ian transforms back into the glowy yeah. energy ball and floats into Troy's hands. Yeah. And you realize by her facial expressions that she's actually communicating with it uh, telepathically. And she smiles, and then it flies through the ship's hull and disappears. Yeah, and LaForge is like, oh, everything's fine now. So Troy explains that uh, that this that Ian, or whatever it was that turned into Ian, is a life force entity. Uh, it They passed, the, the ship passed it in space, and it was curious and decided... The best way to learn was to go through the life process. So to be born, to live as a person and and understand people. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Yeah. I started thinking about it in terms of both space, but also time. Okay. And like our relationship to things and to people are both spatial, but also temporal. And so if you're born into the space of people's lives, but you don't go through the time of that life, then you're not really learning about life. You know, like, like if you're going to be born as a child, but then you age eight years in a couple days, you're not experiencing like the culture that happens that when you experience the growth through you don't people's timeline, like... you're not really experiencing childhood. Like everything's going to be different. So I get the I get the logic of what the aliens trying to do, but you're not really going to learn about life on a ship if you're so out of step with like the temporal part of our connection to a person their life and their culture and stuff i was having a conversation with some colleagues recently and we were talking about um teaching and uh sort of reflecting back on when we first started teaching versus versus now having done it for many years and like i think there's a similar thing like you can't skip ahead to being an experienced teacher Right. Or, and that's true of anything in life, right? Like you can't, you can't really experience being an eight-year-old without being like a baby, a one-year-old, a two-year-old. Three. Yes. You can't because being an eight-year, yeah. He like I guess, and I'm sort of like that scene with the with burning himself that usually kids burn themselves at maybe a younger age. I don't know. Like intentionally yeah. do that kind of seek out those those kind of tactile sensations quite like very young. Because they don't know what they're like. And then you get... So yeah, he, he as an eight-year-old, he wasn't necessarily an eight-year-old. I mean, he wasn't. Yeah. He was like a one-day-year-old, so... Obviously, she's crying and she's yeah. upset. And I wish that people had... Like, they all just leave. 
I know. Even Riker. <laughs> Even Riker. Standing there watching her give birth. Yeah, I got to be there for giving birth because that's where people want to be around. But now it's uncomfortable. She's sad and there's loss and we're just going to take off and leave her there by herself. So I thought that was kind of weird that everyone just like leaves and no one stays with her to support her and her loss. Yeah. Also, what's weird is that like this episode is going to like never come up again. Yeah, as with a lot of these Yeah, episodes. I know that's like normal for Star Trek, but like... Yeah, I was thinking about that when, when Pulaski says earlier, she's like, it's it's like there was no trauma done to yeah, her well, body whatsoever for the, the pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, it's like that with every episode. It's like as if these things just don't actually happen yeah, to the characters. Yeah, it does no lasting effect. So on the bridge, they've arrived to the Richelis system. They start beaming the cargo back down, reversing the loading sequence that they had from earlier. Yeah. And Wesley approaches Picard and says that he would like to say something to him. And Picard is like, in my ready room, when your duty is allowed. Yeah, yeah, nothing. Let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves here, Wesley. Um, yeah. But basically what he wants to talk about is that he wants to stay on the Enterprise. He hasn't talked about it with, with Crusher, with his mom yet. He wants to get the captain's permission first, but he feels like, he belongs here and probably Will Wheaton has a contract with the show. So Picard tells everyone that Wesley wants to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Because he doesn't answer him. Right. Like when he says, doesn't, I want to yeah, stay. And Picard's him. like, OK, go back to go back to your post. Yeah. And Picard says, you know, I would have given an answer, but I think this the, he's like, this is inconveniences everybody on the ship. Yeah. So we have to be willing to do it. So everyone's going to have to take care of him. So what about his studies? And he says, Data will see to that. Yeah. Uh, and then Riker says, well, who's going to tuck him in at night? And Worf volunteers. <laughs> I volunteer. <laughs> I like how uh, at least Wesley turns around on that comment. It is like, commander. Yeah. What's cute also, though, is he's like, like when Worf volunteers for that, and Troy's like, well, so we know he'll be getting his sleep if Worf is the one putting you to bed. And then Picard says that Riker will supervise him growing up. There was a, there was an article that I had, what an article, it was a post that Will Wheaton had made on Facebook uh, about two weeks ago. And it was actually about how Jonathan Frakes, like, treated him so well yeah. on the set of Star Trek and how he he kind of left the show because in, in, in the write-up, he talks about some of the difficulties he was having with producers on the show who just treated him very poorly. Yeah. But that uh, he looked up to Jonathan Frakes so much and just thought he was, like, so cool and how Frakes like really took him under his wing. And whenever they had scenes together, he always loved it. And so in a way, it was almost like, that he does take on this role. He does. Yeah, it is really sweet when when uh, he ta- whenever he talks about Frakes. Like when he's talking about uh, um, Gates McFadden, he always calls her Space Mom, and it's really, Space really Mom. cute. Um, yeah. But also his, his relationship with Frakes seems really sweet. He also posted a thing on Instagram a little while ago, like a couple days ago. There was a photo of him like hugging gates mcfadden there's a cake and like uh jonathan frakes and uh patrick stewart are like in the background and it was from it's from his like goodbye party when he eventually did leave the show and he was Aww. like i've got a lot of feelings about this but it's i mean they they really you know he was he he was a child when they were filming this and he that was his family and kind of like wesley yeah. that's and family. still is yeah. you know in a way yeah. so it's yeah, i know it's, i think it's cool to know that they that behind the scenes that the cast had that kind of relationship because yeah. and to knowing that to me makes the makes the series seem even more believable yep. and real. Yep. That you know that as a crew, that behind the scenes that they they were actually a crew as well. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a fan too. Now that they've got all that settled, Picard is like, okay, Wesley, you've got my permission, but your mom gets final say. Mom gets final say. Like, Just to let everyone know that she's still around. She still exists. Yes. 
I think this is like the last time she's going to be mentioned until she what she's doing, according to the show, is she's head of Starfleet Medical. So it's not like, yeah, maybe she left the show for, um, you know, reasons that were not great. But in the show, she left the Enterprise because she's got this huge promotion, it seems. That's good because it leaves the door open for the character to return. Yeah, not like Tashiar. Holy moly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She's not dead. So that's good. No. Thank you so much for listening to this season, second season now of With the First Link. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at NathanNunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram and now also on Twitter at FirstLinkPod or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to let us know if there were any other harmful tropes that we missed in this episode. I am Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And hey, if you're in the medical profession, maybe have private conversations not in a bar and learn people's names. Good call.